Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question, Clemson's the conference champion. You surprised? Surprise. Surprise. Not really. We, we may have told you this was going to happen like three months ago. Yeah. Uh, it was not quite as predictable of a season as we would have thought, but the end result was exactly what we thought. Yes. Um Clemson is your ACC champion. They are 13-0. They have not lost a single game. They've only had a couple of games that were even like what you might call close calls. Um, Syracuse nearly beat them. Texas A&M nearly beat them. Otherwise, they have kind of just wiped the floor with everybody they've played. Um, Mike, we got to talk about this. A uh, couple of games that happened. We got some more news we got to hit on. So let's start there. Uh, the ACC championship game Saturday night, number two, Clemson 42, Pittsburgh 10. Uh, we told you this game probably wasn't going to be all that close, and sure enough, it wasn't. Travis Etienne, first play of the game, 75 yards to the house. Uh, from there, Clemson just kind of slowly, methodically took control and dominated this game. It was 28 to 10 at halftime. They scored another couple times in the fourth quarter to make it 42 to 10. They covered 26 and a half. Uh, Praise be to one Lynn J. Dixon scoring with three minutes left to uh, to put this game, you know, into cover town for the Tigers. Um, Pittsburgh, not good. It was a bad matchup. It always was. Kenny Pickett goes four of 16, Mike, for eight yards and a pick. And that's not really what you what you're hoping for. Pretty bad, actually. Yeah, quite, quite not good. Uh, Quite not good. So. Uh, big win here for Clemson. They're the ACC champions, and we'll get here in a minute. But long story short, they're going to the playoff, Mike. They're the two seed. They are the two seed, and um, they rolled Pitt, Joey. Mm-hmm. They rolled him. So Clemson gets the party started with a 75-yard touchdown run by Travis Etienne on the first play from scrimmage. Uh, Pitt tried to make it a little bit interesting there in the second quarter, and then Clemson rolled him, and that's mm-hmm. – Pretty much the synopsis of the game. Uh, like you mentioned, Kenny Pickett, four of 16 for eight yards and a pick. Oh, boy. That's uh, a that's robust, your coastal division champ right there. Yeah, that's your coastal division champ with robust half yard per attempt. Um, really, really bad. Uh, so passing game non-existent. We kind of said this in the preview. We mentioned that uh, the running game for... Uh, Pittsburgh was really all they had, and Clemson's strength was stopping the run. Uh, to Pittsburgh's credit, they tried to run the ball a lot in this game. They were trying really, really, really hard. Uh, they had 192 yards rushing as a team uh, on 48 carries, only had one touchdown to show for it. The passing game entirely non-existent, and Pittsburgh had no answer for Clemson's running game, specifically with Travis Etienne having a huge game, 156 and two scores on the ground. Um, 
you know, Choice got in the end zone as well. He had a touchdown. You mentioned the Lin J. Dixon touchdown run. So four rushing touchdowns on the ground for Clemson. Uh, Trevor Lawrence not really tested in this game. He went 12 of 24 for 118 yards and two touchdowns. So one thing I'll say about both quarterbacks in this matchup is that the weather was pretty bad in Charlotte. So mm-hmm. if you weren't running the ball, there was no guarantee you'd be able to throw it with any level of effectiveness. So neither one of the quarterbacks looked particularly good throwing the football, but Lawrence looked a little bit better and more and more specifically the Clemson offense as a whole looked a lot better specifically on the ground. So uh, Clemson rolls here, nothing that we didn't really see coming. Uh, the end result was exactly what we thought. And I think that Clemson and Pittsburgh's strengths were shown in this game. Pittsburgh runs the ball well. Clemson also runs the ball well. Turns out Clemson is able to stop the run a little bit more effectively than Pittsburgh is. And at the end of the day, Pittsburgh's lack of a passing attack uh, really hampers them in a game of this magnitude. So that's where we're at, Joey. Pretty easy, pretty easy game to call here. And it ended up basically being exactly what we thought we would. And it was a runaway game for Clemson here to win the conference championship. It really was. It's kind of what we said that Pittsburgh, especially offensively, they only have one way to beat you, and it's turn around, hand the ball off to Darren Hall, turn around, hand the ball off to Kadri Allison. And they they do that, and they do it 27 times in this game, and they only come away with about 130 yards. Um, it's just at some point it's it's not enough to beat Clemson doing that. Um, you'll, you'll see Clemson's going to play some teams in the playoff that – are good at running the football and and may be able to get some traction, but they're going to have to do other things to beat Clemson. And Pitt here really just couldn't, and it suffered badly. Um, Pitt only finishes right at 200 yards of total offense. I mean, they go three of 17 on third down, Mike. I mean, goodness. Um, so this is just an ugly kind of slog of a game. Clemson, though, uh, a lot more effective with the ball on offense, and uh, they win here by 32. They cover and onto the playoff. On to the playoff. Yeah, um, I don't. Not a whole lot more to say about this game, honestly. It wasn't wasn't that close. Um, Clemson just dominated and uh, dominated the way that they have all year. So, number two, Clemson forty-two, Pittsburgh ten. Fourth straight, uh, Joey. Fourth straight conference championship for the Tigers. Four straight for the Tigers. That is correct. Um, it's it's been a while since anybody else won the title, and I, I believe it was Florida State in twenty fourteen. The uh, Florida State team that nearly lost to Georgia Tech in the in the conference championship game, and then Tech went on and won the Orange Bowl. For those looking for some context, that's how yeah. I remember that. Oh yeah. Uh, let's move on, Mike. Your Virginia Tech Hokies forty-one, the Marshall Thundering Herd twenty. Uh, Mike, I texted you sometime late in the first half. Here, Virginia Tech goes into halftime up thirty-one to six. I texted you late in the first half saying, "Well, it's clear that Virginia Tech wants to be here today a lot more than Marshall does." It was another just cold, rainy, nasty day, and Virginia Tech came out firing, and uh, they, they go up big in the first half, and, and again, they clearly wanted to be here, and they wrap up bowl eligibility now for a 26th straight season, which is now leading the country with Florida State's bowl streak having come to an end. Yeah, this was, I mean, Marshall had literally nothing to play for. I actually picked Marshall to win this game on the mm-hmm. uh, pregame show that down there in Blacksburg. Uh, just because, you know, I, I we talked about Marshall's defense. We both picked Marshall, or I picked Marshall anyway. You were leaning Marshall and then ended up picking Tech. Nice pick, Joey. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, so uh, one of us had faith in my school, so I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> it uh, didn't turn out the way I thought it would. I thought this would be a lower-scoring game. I thought that um, Marshall would ugly it up, and I thought they'd want to be there a little bit more than they did. Uh, credit Virginia Tech, specifically Ryan Willis, uh, goes for 312 yards and four touchdowns on 18 of 26 passing in this game. 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was this offense all season? Uh, you know, Marshall's defense is not that bad, and Virginia Tech went right through them, specifically in the passing game, and that was a surprise to me uh, for an offense that really has been struggling to find its way basically the entire year. Uh, Stephen Peoples, 78 yards on the ground. Jalen Holston, 54 yards and a touchdown. Virginia Tech as a team had 142 yards rushing on 30, 38 carries. Uh, budding star there for Virginia Tech is Trey Turner at receiver. Uh, we talked about Trey Turner and the impact he had on the Virginia game where he had the excellent touchdown catch, ended up number one on Center, and then he blocked a punt in that game as well. Uh, he had three catches for 99 yards and a touchdown. Joey, he's only a freshman. Oh, he's good. He's pro- he's pretty good. Um, he's quite good. Yeah, he could be the next really, really, really good tech receiver. Um, one guy who was pretty absent in the offense that I was surprised about was Damon Hazleton. He, you know, guy second team All ACC, it's basically fallen out of the rotation there on the offensive side of the football, which is a surprise. Uh, but when you take Trey Turner's success into context recently, it becomes less of a surprise given that Turner is literally making it impossible to come off the field. So a uh, good win for Virginia tech here On to the military bowl. We'll get into all the bowls here later, but uh, like you said, Virginia tech extends their bowl streak and they're pretty happy that they were able to reschedule this game and have the hurricane makeup. Yeah. Uh, Virginia tech came out slinging it. Uh, got a whole lot of gains through the air. Trey Turner, another yeah big game, as you mentioned, um, really impressed that Virginia Tech didn't come out flat or sloppy or anything. I mean, it, Marshall, how how much did they want to be here, and were they really playing for anything? Maybe not that much, but it, in any case, Virginia Tech didn't really leave this one to any doubt. Um, again, they were up 34-6 to six going into the fourth quarter. Um, they just sort of put this game away early and, and, again, made sure to secure that bowl eligibility. But really, this could have been a total, total mess. I mean – I was tempted to take Marshall to win the game outright on the, on the preview show. You took Marshall to win the game outright on the preview show. A lot of people basically saying Marshall's pretty much just a better team than Virginia tech. And yet uh, the motivation thing was a big issue and they came out and just, uh, just took care of business on, on Saturday. So uh, like you said, Hokies going to the military bowl, uh, it's 26 straight bowl games for the Hokies. Uh, thank you, Virginia for uh, finding a way to lose that game last week that now enables Virginia Tech to extend their bowl streak. Um, sorry, who's? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll still extend them a Christmas card, you know? Oh, yeah, every year, every year. Right, yep. Uh, Virginia Tech 41, Marshall 20. Uh, last game, Mike, NC State, the Wolfpack, 58 points. The East Carolina Pirates, three. They have a new coach, though, JMU. Yeah, yeah so here's the thing is – we, you know, we both took East Carolina in the 23 in this game on the preview podcast. We recorded that Tuesday night. Problem with that is that Wednesday evening, we got news that East Carolina had fired their coach. Uh, Scotty Montgomery no longer going to be there. And like that happens midweek before a game. And a lot of that, honestly, just due to some kind of jostling, trying to get in position to hire, as you mentioned, Mike Houston out of uh, James Madison. But if, if I had known, Mike, that East Carolina was going to fire their coach midweek, I probably wouldn't have taken them to cover. But as these things happen, uh, NC State covers 23 and does so, you know, twice. Uh, and the Wolfpack, really easy, dominant win here. Ryan Finley looks really good. Three touchdowns through the air, 409 in, in yardage. Reggie Gillespie, 24 carries for 220 yards and two scores. Um, really just dominant 
easy effort for NC State. They hold East Carolina to just barely over 100 yards of offense. Just a dominant, easy, cruising, coast, you know, coasting kind of win for the Wolfpack. Yeah, uh, you basically said what needed to be said about this game. Hey, Ryan Finley, that's the quarterback we all thought you were. Mm-hmm. Um, he has not been great, especially in the second half of the season for NC State, but uh, got back on the right track in this one. Like you mentioned, 409 yards passing. Reggie Gillespie, a huge day. And with basically over 600 yards of offense between the two of them, that's basically all she wrote. Yeah, not a lot to say. I mean, this is just a, a total beatdown win for NC State. I was a little disappointed to some degree in East Carolina. I mean, they've they've had some good games this year. They've given some much, you know, some pretty decent teams a hard time. And um, they really just couldn't even make this competitive. Um, I just, you know, again, a total runaway of a game here. Um, by the way, worth mentioning, Garrett Bradbury, he plays center for NC State. He had a rushing touchdown in this game, so that was fun. Yep. Uh, always fun to see a, a big man score a touchdown. So uh, good on little, you. Uh, little late season Piesman trophy material. I was going to say, go, go get that trophy, big man. Uh, trying to, trying to win that one. Uh, that's all I got, Mike. 58 to three NC state. Your winners here. Oh yeah. Big job. Easy, easy. Uh, Mike, that's all the games we've got to recap. However, we have a couple of things that we got to talk about here while we're still on the program. Number one, it is officially Sunday after comp, uh, championship Saturday. We've got a bowl lineup to talk about. Yes, we do. Absolutely. So let's go through these. Uh, let's start with Clemson making the college football playoff. Uh, they'll be playing that game. They're in the uh, the Cotton Bowl, by the way, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, is as it were. December 29th, that's a Saturday. It's at 4 o'clock on ESPN. That will precede the Orange Bowl, which features uh, Alabama taking on Oklahoma Clemson taking on number three, Notre Dame, in that game. Uh, we're going to come back and preview these games tactically, but uh, overall really like the matchup there for Clemson. Uh, long and short of it, once again, 4 o'clock on ESPN on December 29th. Mike, let's go back to the kind of the, the early game here, and, and we'll kind of work our way through time as we go. Yep. Starting on Saturday, December 27th, in the Birmingham Bowl at noon on ESPN is the Wake Forest Steeman Deacons taking on the Memphis Tigers. Mm. Probably a, not a great matchup for Wake Forest there. Not the best, no. Um, especially a team like Memphis that can run the hell out of the ball. Um, going against Wake's defense might be uh, might be dangerous, so keep an eye out there. Uh, Wednesday, December 26th, we have two games. First off at 1.30 p.m. on ESPN, the Boston College Eagles taking on the number 25 Boise State Broncos in the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl. That's a new one. Uh, long story short, it's the Heart of Dallas Bowl. Uh, as you might remember, is the Zaxby's Heart of Dallas Bowl the last several years. It is now the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, world famous. I hope you like defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of scoring going to be happening there. Yeah, because if you do, we got a game for you. Yeah. Uh, later that day, 5.15 p.m. on ESPN, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets taking on the Minnesota Golden Gophers in the Quick Lane Bowl. And, Mike, we're going to come back and just talk about that in a minute because this is something that should be, should probably be discussed. Oh, you want to wait on that conversation. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give it a minute. Let's just go through these games. We're going to come back. All right. There. Go. Uh, December 27th, the following day, in the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl at 1.30 on ESPN is going to be the Duke Blue Devils taking on the Temple Owls. Gross. Gross. Uh, yeah, not pretty, and I'm not sure who the better team is there, honestly. Yep. 
Um, speaking of disappointingly gross in a lot of different ways, at 5.15 later that day in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, our Miami Hurricanes in a rematch of last year's Orange Bowl taking Get on – Get back game, Joey. Uh, it is. Taking on the Wisconsin Badgers. Now, Mike, tell me how bad Miami wants to go play in Yankee Stadium uh, in December and tell me how good Wisconsin is even at this point. I, this is a uh, – what you might call a bit of a disappointing version of a rematch from, from last year. It was a much bigger game by two much better teams, I think. If you told me that Miami was going to be playing Wisconsin in a bowl game, I would have believed you. But if you told <laughs> me they were going to be playing in the new era pinstripe bowl, I definitely would not have believed you. At what, six and six, seven and five? Yeah. Uh, yeah, both at seven and five. Ugly. Yeah, not great. Yeah. Uh, on December 28th, that's a Friday, Mike, the number 16 West Virginia Mountaineers taking on the number 20 Syracuse Orange at 5.15 p.m. Pound the over. Absolutely, yeah. There's going to be points on points in that game. 5.15 p.m. on ESPN. That's the Camping World Bowl coming to you from Orlando. Uh, that'll be a really fun game, actually. That might be my favorite bowl matchup of uh, all the ACC's bowl slate here. Yep. Uh, moving on, Saturday, December 29th at noon on ABC, the Virginia Cavaliers taking on the South Carolina Gamecocks in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Virginia actually playing in Charlotte this year. And this is about the only case we would have thought they would play there to begin with earlier this season. And yet, as things happen, uh, they, they, they find their way there in a kind of an unconventional way. Yep, and we'll get into that momentarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and once again, it's later that day on December 29th that Clemson takes on Notre Dame in the in the Cotton Bowl, uh, 4 o'clock ESPN in Arlington, Texas. Uh, last day, Mike, Monday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, your Virginia Tech Hokies at 11 or at, excuse me, at noon on ESPN. The Hokies are taking on the Cincinnati Bearcats in the Military Bowl presented by Northrop Grumman. Uh, Virginia Tech, once again, maintains bowl eligibility, extends their streak, and as a result, they're going to be sticking around your, your neck of the woods in Maryland, in Annapolis, taking on the Bearcats. Yeah, might be there. Um, if you had to flip a coin and say, will I be there or not, I'd put heads and tails both on me going because I'll probably be there. Um, anyway. What, are you going uh, to work that day? I know. Crazy, right? Uh, no, I got that whole week off, Joey. Oh, that that boy. Week. Yeah, I got that entire week after Christmas off. It's nice. Um, well yeah. So this is going to be interesting for Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. That is a uh, little bit of a tough matchup. But anyway, Cincinnati is a team that can play defense. Virginia Tech, a team that can sometimes play offense. Yep. Every once in a while. Every once in a while when they run to Marshall. Especially in the first half. They'll play some first half offense for you there. Uh, two other games that day, two o'clock on CBS. The Pitt Panthers taking on the Stanford Cardinal in the Hyundai Sun Bowl. Um, speaking of teams that just love to run the ball a lot, uh, this game might be over in like two and a half hours, Mike. Yep. Uh, speaking of a way to pass the time while I'm drinking, getting ready for New Year's Eve. Oh hell yeah, that's a fun one. That'll be a good game. Uh, and last but not least, Mike, 7.30 p.m. on New Year's Eve in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, the NC State Wolfpack taking on the number 19 Texas A&M Aggies. That's actually probably also kind of an underrated, could be kind of a fun game to watch. Could be real, real, real good. This is probably my second favorite. Ma- I mean, outside of the playoff game, obviously. This is probably my second favorite ACC matchup outside of that Syracuse game that we talked about there. Um, this NC State Texas A&M game could be really, really good in the Gator Bowl. Uh, West Virginia Syracuse, if you love scoring, 
you know, oh boy, do we have a game for you? And then, of course, uh, Clemson facing off against Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl for the playoff. Um, those are the three premier games for me. Yeah, I, I think that could be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm weirded out at the time on that. 7.30 p.m. on New Year's Eve. I, I remember watching Georgia Tech in that game two years ago, and it was like a 11 a.m. start. So I don't really know how the time slots move around there. But there you have it, Mike. 11 ACC teams playing in bowl games this year. You've got Wake Forest in the Birmingham Bowl, Boston College in the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, Georgia Tech in the Quick Lane Bowl, Duke in the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl, uh, Miami in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, Syracuse in the Camping World Bowl, Virginia in the Belk Bowl, Clemson in the Cotton Bowl, Virginia Tech in the Military Bowl, Pittsburgh in the Sun Bowl, and NC State in the Gator Bowl. Mike, we need to talk about Georgia Tech being in the Quick Lane Bowl for just a second. Okay, go. Uh, here's my issue. All right. So if you if you look at the way, first of all, annual reminder, the ACC's bowl tie-ins, steaming hot trash. Very bad. They're egregiously bad. If you look at that relative to other Power 5 conferences, it's not good. So as a reminder, here's how the structure works. Um, first priority in selection, obviously, is going to be the playoff. So Clemson's going there. They're going to the Cotton Bowl this year uh, as one of the semifinal spots. And then from there, it's a New Year's Six game. Nobody's going to one of those. So the other 10 teams in the ACC, here is the selection order. First selection of the, of the, fi- of the remaining 10 is the Camping World Bowl. So they took the Syracuse Orange. Fine with me. No, no big deal. Um, nope. Syracuse is really good. Nine and three. Had a good year. That'll be a fun game. All this stuff. Next, Mike, you have the four tier one bowls. Um, and this year, that is the Belk Bowl. That's the Tax Slayer Bowl, otherwise known as the Gator Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl, and the Sun Bowl. Now, those four games are kind of considered equals. Um, so basically, pick four teams and kind of distribute them out, and there's no real priority order there. Uh, so in those games, once again, NC State in the Gator Bowl, Pittsburgh in the Sun Bowl, uh, Virginia in the Belk Bowl, and Miami in the Pinstripe Bowl. So Miami in the Pinstripe Bowl and Virginia in the Belk Bowl, and we still haven't gotten to ACC Coastal runner-up Georgia Tech yet, uh, even though they beat both of those teams and finished with equal or better records both overall and in conference. So Keep that in mind. Um, After those four games are selected, Mike, then you get the Military Bowl. Military Bowl just took Virginia Tech, which is technically is the local team, and that's good. But a a Virginia Tech team that Georgia Tech also beat, A, and B, now had to schedule a game against Marshall just to maintain bowl eligibility status. Watch it. Watch it. Facts only, Mike. Facts only. We're just stating facts. Next, you have the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, the world famous. Uh, and I'm not sitting here saying that I really hoped Georgia Tech was going to the Shreveport Bowl, but they took Duke, Mike. The hell is that? Yep. The yeah. only logic here, I guess, is that Duke is playing Temple and Georgia Tech has a trip to Philadelphia scheduled next year to play Temple. Um, so maybe they're trying to avoid that matchup for that reason. But other than that, that's it. So then after that now is the quick lane bowl. And so seven and five Georgia tech second place in the coastal five and three in conference is now in the ninth out of 11 bowl spots for the ACC this year. That's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. It's, it's disappointing. The players are upset. The coaches are upset. The fans are upset. Why the hell is Georgia tech going to send anybody to Detroit the day after Christmas what are what, this is an embarrassment for the ACC, frankly. 
that you had one of your top four or five teams in the conference now slotted down in the ninth slot of bowl games, it's embarrassing and it's unacceptable. Uh, I don't really care. Well, clearly. <laughs> I don't really care. I mean, the entire conference is like six and six and seven and five. You know, I just I I get why you're worked up because you're a Georgia Tech fan. But as like a, a fan of another ACC team that like literally had to scratch and claw to get to six wins, like I I don't really care where my you know, I don't really care where they ended up. It's nice to end up at the military bowl just because I'm going to be able to go. So I get from a fan's perspective, like nobody's going to no Georgia Tech fans are going to Detroit. Like they're not mm-hmm. going to nobody's going to go to that game. Yeah. You'll have you'll have like if you guys get six or seven thousand Georgia Tech fans in that game, I, I think that's an accomplishment. Like it's going to be bad. Like I'm not sure who's going to that the day after Christmas. Uh, so I get the anger there and the frustration um, from my perspective as a Virginia Tech fan. They were talking about military bowl. You know, if if Tech were to beat Marshall, I mean, they've been talking about the military bowl now for the last week and a half since Virginia Tech was able to still keep their bowl hopes alive. Mm -hmm. Um, With that being said, if Virginia Tech didn't go to the military bowl, I'm not really sure what outrage there would have been from the fan base just because a lot of Virginia Tech fans, I don't think we're expecting to be there this year. So I fall into that category where, like, if it wasn't going to be the military bowl, like, I okay. Like they ended up somewhere else. That's fine. They're they're lucky they're even playing in a game at all. So maybe that's my bad, right? Maybe that's just what I'm falling into as a as a tech fan or whatever. Um, but from a fan's perspective, yeah, it's tough for Georgia Tech to now not be able to go to a bowl game, like literally anywhere remotely close to where they're located, right? Like mm-hmm. no fans are gonna go to Michigan. Like mm-hmm. nobody, nobody is going to that game. So I get that, but overall, like the whole tie-in for the bowls with the ACC is, you know, it needs to be revamped anyway. It's a disaster. Um, this is one, you know, major part of it that we're seeing here, and we're able to highlight it because you, as a Georgia Tech fan, are are annoyed, and I think rightfully so. And the fan base is real ticked off, and so we see it on this podcast just because you know you're a Georgia Tech fan, so we see it highlighted more than like other ACC fans are not looking at this in the same light. I don't think. Um, but with that being said, I think all ACC teams, and the fans of those teams are pretty well aware of how bad the bowl tie-ins are for this conference. So if anything, I think it's on a larger scale, it needs to be revamped um, because the way they kind of willy nilly pick teams to just kind of fall into place here, having one of the, you know, record wise, so even though it's a down ACC record wise, one of the best teams in the conference this year, Georgia Tech, fall into like the ninth, what'd you say, the ninth bowl slot? Out of 11, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty bad. It is. It's bad. So, I don't know. We'll see if they revamp it in the future. I think this is a pretty good indication that they need to do so. But there have been other instances in the past where, you know, teams have been slotted poorly and they probably could have done a lot better. So, we'll just see if it ever changes. I think it needs to, but overall, I I don't really care. It really needs to. Um, the biggest thing I think that maybe irritates me is we talk about the, the bowl tie-ins being bad for the ACC is if you look at a lot of the bowl games that are affiliated to certain conferences, there's a certain benefit in those bowl games being generally within the rough like footprint of those conferences. Right. The ACC has bowl games, Mike, in Birmingham, Dallas, Detroit, Shreveport, New York City, Orlando, Charlotte, Arlington, Texas, 
Art, uh, Annapolis, El Paso, and Jacksonville. Like three of those 11 is anywhere near ACC territory, right? Yep. Yep. That's only, that's just part of why this is kind of a, a trash bowl tie in schedule. So, um, yeah, just frustrating for Georgia Tech fans now having to deal with either going to Detroit to watch their game or not watching the game at all. Um, the release put out by the school, by the way, had some very specific language about if, you, if you're if you buying tickets to the game, please buy it through the school because we're on the hook for all these. We would prefer to spend the money on other athletic endeavors rather than paying for tickets, um, <laughs> which when that's being released like less than an hour after the bowl game was announced, kind of says something, Mike. Yep, that would say something. I don't think anybody is happy on the Georgia Tech side. Anybody. Not good. Not good. Um, All right, Mike. So that's the ACC's bowl lineup. Uh, Last thing, we need to chat about some coaching search updates. Oh, boy. Mike, Georgia Tech's having a coaching search. Yep, unexpectedly. Uh, Yeah, this is a thing. Relatively speaking. Entirely. This is a thing that I said wasn't going to happen. Paul Johnson's retiring from Georgia Tech. Um, he he announced that Wednesday afternoon. Once again, we recorded Tuesday night. Um, I was literally sitting at lunch at work and kind of just checking Twitter, and I started to see a couple of things about, hey, Paul Johnson's going to retire this afternoon. And I was like, I'm not seeing this from any sort of reputable insider sources. I haven't really heard any whispers saying that it was going to happen now or anytime soon. I, I woke up that morning thinking Georgia Tech's going to have one to two more years of Paul Johnson. By the time I get back to the office from lunch, it, there's like a press release going out and Johnson's talking to the team and all this. I mean, it, it happened really fast. Um, it kind of caught a lot of people off guard, I think, including the staff. The staff was out on the road recruiting that day. Um, they didn't really even know. So this whole thing kind of kind of popped up out of nowhere. It was a, a bit of a bizarre thing that, that happened. Uh, but yeah, Paul Johnson is retiring after 11 years at Georgia Tech. Um, he has not ruled out coaching you know, in the future somewhere, he's, he's not old. He's only like 61, 62 years old, which in coaching terms, I mean, you've still probably got eight, 10 years in the tank. If you, if you really like what you're doing, you know, so he's got time if he wants to coach college, high school, whatever, I think he would be brilliant on television, frankly. Um, But so Georgia tech now on a coaching search, it's not going great so far. Early reports have been that Ken Wisenhunt, the Chargers. I know, I know, I know. Um, Ken Wisenhunt, the Chargers offensive coordinator, he's a Georgia Tech alumnus. He is said to be the leading candidate, at least you know, in, in the initial stages. Uh, he played football at Georgia Tech with uh, Todd Stansbury, the athletic director. Stansbury thought to have already interviewed him either Friday or Saturday in San Diego. Um, the whole thing, timing-wise, is very inconvenient for Georgia Tech, at least in the sense that Todd Stansbury is on the playoff committee. So as he's starting to try to start a coaching search on like Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, he's now also preparing to go sit in Dallas all day Saturday to watch games with the rest of the committee. So that's a whole thing that went on. Um, anyway, so Ken Wisenhunt, the only guy that's been interviewed so far, I believe. I don't think they're going to do that. I really hope they won't. It sounds like anybody who matters whatsoever, you know, in terms of donations, boostership, whatever, doesn't want that to happen. So I'd like to think it won't, but you know, time will tell. Um, other coaches have been linked here, you know, a Neil Brown, a Scott Satterfield that we've talked about before. The, the other name that really popped up that was interesting is Tony Elliott. 
Um, he's the co-offensive coordinator at Clemson. He's their lead recruiter in the Atlanta area, as well as in a lot of parts of Florida, which really matches the Georgia Tech profile, what they've done the last several years. Um, so we'll see where they end up. I, you know, I'll tell you right now, Mike, I kind of expect there to be a, a higher made within the next uh, week or so. I, I don't think this is going to be a thing that draws out forever. Apparently, this is a thing that kind of caught Todd Stansberry off guard a little bit when Paul Johnson retired, but I don't really understand that, given this seems like it's been an ongoing conversation with them for, for months now. You know, So at the very least, Stansberry had his, uh, his short list of guys you know, well-polished and up-to-date. So we'll, we'll see where Georgia Tech goes from here, but they're just kind of starting the process of interviewing folks. And the only quote-unquote leader in the clubhouse right now sounds like Ken Wisenhunt, but I also don't really believe that. And I think that was probably just Stansberry doing his buddy a solid. Literally anybody but Wisenhunt mm-hmm. here would be good. Um, they're going from option to then, okay, bring Ken Wisenhunt in and have a pro-style system. That doesn't seem like the move. Um, you could have literally anybody else who runs a more college-friendly system. I don't think pro-style is the answer here, Joey. I really don't. And a guy who really didn't have a lot of success as a head coach at the NFL level, so what makes you think he'll all of a sudden have success as a head coach at the college level? And then everybody's going to scream, oh, but what about Nick Saban? Um, Nick Saban has success at the college level, you idiots. He was a excellent coach at LSU. He won a national championship. He goes to the NFL, flames out with the Dolphins back at Alabama. Those are two completely different things, and I don't think anybody is mistaking Ken Wisenhunt for Nick Saban anyway. That's just uh, the prime example. So, um, yeah, literally anybody but Wisenhunt here. Uh, Satterfield, I love him. I think he would be great. Uh, Tony Elliott, for the reasons you mentioned, would be an interesting choice just because of his recruiting ties to the area. That does fit the mold well. I agree. Um, there are a number. I mean, Neil Brown, I think, would be great. I, there are a number of candidates there um, that I think would be very good. Another guy who has not been mentioned nearly as often as he was last offseason is Mike Norvell at Memphis, who I think would be another really, really nice head coach in the ACC um, that might be up for another job that we'll talk about here in a second. So. There are some there are some guys names out there who um, who have would have ties that would make sense to the ACC that recruit in areas where a lot of these ACC schools are. So uh, you're going to hear similar candidates across many of the different positions. But bottom line is, I really hope they don't hire Ken Wisenhunt here. I think that would be please, please don't do that. Yep. I, yeah, Ken Wisenhunt, by the way, yeah, hasn't coached in college since he was an assistant. Uh, I think a, a special teams, tight ends, and H-backs coach at Vanderbilt in 1996, Mike. Ugh. Um, he's been in the NFL now for over 20 years. Uh, as a head coach in the NFL, he's a grand total of 48-71. and 71. Not great. Did he take the Cardinals to the Super Bowl? Yes. Was Kurt Warner his quarterback on that team? Yes, uh, even though that was in like 2008 when Kurt Warner was old and had been plucked literally off of like bagging groceries or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I no, Ken, there is nothing about Ken Wisenhunt that, at this point that tells me that he could effectively put together a successful college football program. Um, again, he he hasn't done it. He hadn't coached in college in 20 plus years. He he wasn't a winning head coach in the NFL. He hadn't had to recruit in all that time. You know. Lord knows how different recruiting is at this point than it was then. So, I yeah, don't do that. Please, please don't do that, Todd Stansberry. Yeah. Um, as for the other candidates, yeah, you mentioned Mike Norvell. You mentioned Tony Elliott, Scott Satterfield, Neil Brown. I mean, there's there's a number of guys that I think make a lot more sense here than uh, than doing a Ken Wisenhunt thing. Larry Fedora. Hell, even that. Even that. 
Um, I, we looked at North Carolina and laughed for hiring Mac Brown. This would be either either the same thing as hiring Mac Brown, if not worse. Um, so don't do that. Don't might do be it. worse. I think it would be worse. Yeah. So Georgia Tech on the coaching search. We'll see how that whole thing goes. Uh, Mike, update on Louisville. Uh, Louisville trying to go get Jeff Brown to be their head coach. Jeff Brown said no. Yep. And that, you know what? We called it, by the way. We called yeah, it. Yeah, it was seeming that way. Um, Brom, it was supposedly this, you know, really long, heartfelt, you know, disastrous kind of decision that he had to make. But it sounds like Louisville wasn't really doing anything to make their job a whole lot more attractive than the Purdue job currently is, except they were just using the, oh, but it's home. You know, you could do that and make the same amount of money and, and work on rebuilding a team and a roster and all this stuff. And it's like, I think Jeff Brom just kind of said, hmm. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah, and you know what? Better for college football that he's staying at Purdue because the Big Ten gets a lot more interesting if Purdue ends up being pretty good, and he's recruiting mm-hmm. while turning that thing around. And they have Rondell Moore, who I love. So, yep. um, hey, I mentioned this on the last podcast, Joey, and we had a nice little discussion about this. If it's not going to be Jeff Brom, they better get the second guy right. Yeah, they better. Um, um they really, they really need to get the second guy right. And the one other thing, real quick, is that you know a lot of there, there's a faction of the fan base, and I've seen it on Louisville social media, right? Who's Team Brom, right? And they're like, okay, I understand. School should have paid him more. Then there's the other side of it who says, oh, he's a traitor, you know, uh, you know, Team Louisville. Look, I, I have a hard time buying buying that you know you have to sweeten the pot a little bit even if jeff brom is the guy and he's louisville football and all this other stuff um you have to make it better than his current situation he's got a pretty good deal up at purdue right now and they're turning things around and they're getting pretty competitive in the big 10 they you know obviously a huge win this year against ohio state and who's to say that he's not going to be able to do that in the future especially with the caliber of player they start to recruit there um, you see, you see the prime example this year is Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore is an SEC talent. He's one of the best receiver return guys in the nation. And he chose to go to Purdue, Joey. He didn't choose to go to Ohio State. He didn't choose to go to Florida or, or Florida State, Clemson, you know, Alabama. He, right. So he ends up at Purdue and he's playing for Jeff Brom. And Brom can continue to pull in those types of guys if he wants to because guys want to go and play for him. So you've got to sweeten the pot a little bit if you're Louisville. And I think some of it might have to do with the fact that they're paying a pretty big buyout to Bobby Petrino. And maybe they don't want to pay that extra dollar amount for Jeff Brom if they don't have to. So now I'm really, really interested to see who they get here as the next guy. Who is next in line? I have a feeling it's going to be, you know, the candidate pool is going to be very similar to the one we just talked about with Georgia Tech, where there's Norvell, where there's Satterfield, where there's Neil Brown. Uh, I, I think those types of guys are definitely in play here for Louisville, but I'm really interested to see where they go. They better get this thing right. Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm really curious to see what Vince Tyra does. Um, he doesn't really have a background as an athletic director, but that doesn't mean he can't do it. And he, again, he made a really good hire for the basketball team with Chris Mack. Um, the name that I, it seems like they're really going after is Scott Satterfield uh, over there at Appalachian state. I think that would be a great hire. Apparently, Louisville Twitter thinks that that would be a disastrous hire, and I think that's a lot to do with the fact that they don't really realize, either A, they don't realize how successful Scott Satterfield has been at at Appalachian State, or B, Louisville fans are a little bit delusional on where they stand in the college football pecking order, 
if you think you're going to go take Matt Campbell from Iowa State or do something like that, like I have news for you. Louisville's not going to be able to do that, especially not with all the, the money on the books right now with Rick Pitino and Tom Jurich and everybody else, you know, Bobby Petrino's staff even. Right. Louisville, Louisville needs to make a bit of a savvy hire here, maybe be used as a quote unquote stepping stone job because that's, I think that's the way that you're getting a really good head coach at this point. You're not going to be able to outbid many, if any, Power Five programs for their current head coach at this point. Correct. Completely agree. It's going to be really interesting here. Um, and I think that a lot of Louisville fans are a little bit delusional now that they had lost out on Jeff Brom as to who the next best guy is, which is why it's important for Vince Tyra to get this right. Even if it's not very popular in the fan base, if you think that you're making the right move and uh, number one, if it's Satterfield, they should be ecstatic with the hire. Um, he is an up and coming head coach who I think is going to be very, very good wherever he goes. If he stays at App State, they'll be really good for a while. If he goes elsewhere, I think they'll that, you know, he'll have the ability to turn a program around. I think he's the next up and coming head coach. So I think if he ends up being the guy, Louisville fans should embrace that a little bit more than it sounds like they are. Yeah, I uh, hope, hope they do and hope that's the guy. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's been us other names connected here, so we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Mike, last coaching news here. Boston College is on the look for a new offensive coordinator. Why is that, Joey? Uh, I think it's because they fired Scott Leffler, right? Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, because Scott Leffler, objectively not good at coaching offenses, had several years where he's been the offensive coordinator, has had subpar offenses, and nobody really wants him running their programs. Isn't that right, Mike? But what actually happened, Joey? <sighs> Mike, I'll be damned if Scott Leffler wasn't hired as the head coach at Bowling Green. Ooh, baby. Mike, do you watch Silicon Valley on HBO? I, I've seen Silicon Valley, Joey. Are you familiar with Big Head in I Silicon am. Valley? I am, Joey. Scott Leffler is literally the big head of college football coaching. How that man continues to fall up in, in this industry is absolutely beyond me. I do not get it. What in the blue hell does everybody see in Scott Leffler that now Bowling Green wants him as their head coach after seven years of like a sub-average offense? Nothing better than failing upwards, and that's exactly what Scott Leffler does. And here's something interesting, Joey. Scott Leffler's wife, Bowling Green alum. Oh, no. That's probably part of it. And that is definitely part of it. But outside of that, Scott Leffler has a pretty good offense for two-thirds of this season. Last third of the season, Joey, offense, not very good. Not very good. Like started, to, started to regress into peak Scott Leffler, which is bad Scott Leffler. So now he's the head coach of Bowling Green. Let's see how that turns out. Mm, mm. Oh, I don't understand the, the things that people do sometimes. Although, Mike, to be fair, this is the same Bowling Green program that hired their last head coach because the athletic director looked up who has a good offense on Google and – went to Texas tech and just got their offensive coordinator without really knowing much of anything about him. And I'm pretty sure the guy had literally never been to Ohio in his life. Right. And they're like, yeah, sure. This guy can be our head coach. Bowling green is bad at this, Mike. They're bad. They're bad at this. And um, you know what? They deserve everything they have coming to them now. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They have, they've earned it, frankly. Yeah. This has, uh, this has Mike Sanford written all over it. It really does. Um, Oof. Oof. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Uh, anything else that we need to cover before we get out of here? I think we're all set. We'll be back soon with bowl previews, Joey. We are going to have 11 of them. And yes. we'll, yes, we we'll probably group them, probably group them like we normally do. And 
we'll see what makes sense. But yeah, bowl previews are coming. So keep an eye out for those. Can't believe we're already in bowl season. Yeah, it'll be a few episodes. Um, we've, we've kind of done a couple of different strategies in terms of doing one per game, one per day, you know, split them up into just do all of them across a couple episodes, whatever. Um, we'll, we'll have to figure out how we're going to do that. What, what I will say is it'll probably be a week or two before we get to those, you know, take this, Mike, as we've said before, I think the season at some point turns into a little bit of a grind uh, of doing this week in and week out. And so it'll be nice taking a little bit of a break and then coming back and uh, finishing strong with these bowl games, but we will be back. It's just a matter of when. Yep. Agreed. Um, and so, yeah, we'll be coming back to those previews and we'll probably also do another episode here in the next week or so as the Georgia tech and Louisville coaching situations uh, seem to kind of solidify themselves. Um, Keep in mind, too, one other thing that is just put it on the radar, you know, write it down in your notebook is there could be another coaching search in the ACC. Um, yep. There's a couple of rumblings about Steve Adazio at Boston College. And I, I'm of the opinion that if something was going to happen, it would have happened by now, but it hasn't. And yet, you know, just stay tuned. Who's yep. to say? Keep um, an as, eye out. as Stephen Godfrey said, stay tuned, Mike. Stay yep. tuned. Keep an eye out for that one. And, um, I don't think it'll happen, but there have been rumblings about Virginia Tech offensive staff changes. So let's keep an eye on that. We're, um, as Stephen Godfrey says uh, on podcast, ain't play nobody. We're entering silly season. Mm -hmm. And uh, him and Bill C are correct in that regard. Coaching change season is definitely silly season in college football. And we're ready, Joey. We are ready. I think we're already kind of waist deep in silly season, honestly. Yep, yep we are. <laughs> yeah, so keep an eye out for that. We'll probably do one of those in, in the meantime between now and bowl previews. But those bowl previews will be coming, so uh, so stay tuned. Uh, Mike, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and do all those episodes. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Absolutely. And thanks to those who have. Uh, Andrew Parker in particular, our, our key uh, number one emailer, thank you for being boots on the ground at the ACC championship game. Your field reporting was much, very much appreciated. It did, uh, did some great, great work there. For sure. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Yep. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Yep. Please do. Please do. Uh, and you can also find us on YouTube if you want to. Um, you can check out Mike's shirt, giving him away as a club golf player from his time at Virginia Tech. Um, yep. Nerd, 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 nerd. <laughs> Probably one or two beers drank during that time, though, for what it's worth. Only a couple. Only a couple. That's right. Uh, Mike, you want to come back and uh, check in on some of these coaching searches and preview some bowl games? I do, for sure, Joey. All right. Well, we'll talk then. And until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.